one step in this long progress. It's been a team effort by us all the way. We're but part of the whole team that's worked so hard. The shuttle era will come to an end. But they won't stop inspiring, and they won't stop being a part of the fabric of America. We choose to go to the moon. everybody to another episode of the talking space podcast this is a very special episode of talking space being released for the week of monday november 19th 2012 i'm sawyer rosenstein and we have a great panel joining us tonight joining us tonight as always is gene mcculka welcome gene sorry i've been looking forward to this evening when you know as long as we've been planning it so i'm i'm really excited about the guests we have and really excited about uh one of the members of the panel we have tonight, too. I am as well. We've been planning this for almost a month, and we're more than happy to bring it to you now. Also joining us tonight is Mark Ratterman, who brought along a bunch of special guests for us. Welcome, and if you could please introduce who you brought to the table for us. Well, let me tell you, first it's good to be here, but it's a great pleasure for me to introduce a guest panelist for the show. NASA social alumni, one of the key people with the nasatweet.com website, Shannon Moore, also known as Geek Mom. Welcome to Talking Space. Hi there. It's, I'm thrilled to be here. If you wonder what the occasion is to have Shannon with us, and you guess it must have something to do with NASA social, you would be guessing right. Our two special guests tonight are from NASA's social media staff and are in fact known by thousands of participants of the current day NASA social events and previous NASA tweet-ups. Welcome to Talking Space, NASA Social Media Manager, John Yembrick, and NASA Deputy Social Media Manager, Jason Townsend. Gentlemen, welcome. Thanks. Nice to be here. Hello. John and Jason, we all have questions, and I know our time is limited. I'll start us off. The NASA Social and previous NASA tweet-up events have been wildly successful and based on my personal experience in 2009 and 2010, and from what I hear nowadays as well. Can we go back to, say, the beginning of the program, tell us a little bit about how it started, and I'm particularly interested in the support that the NASA social media program gets from management, both in the early days and now. Yeah, I could start, and then if Jason has anything to add, uh, we know we started off, this is John Yembrick, by the way, uh, we started off uh, just in admiration of what Verona McGregor did and the Jet Propulsion Laboratory team for a Mars, a Mars Phoenix lander and everything they did with their accounts early on in Twitter. And of course they hosted the first tweet up. Uh, and actually, you know, if you look at our badges and some of the things we do, it's still actually the design that Veronica did from the very beginning. And to be honest with you, when I started off doing it, I wasn't so keen. I'm a public affairs officer. I work with news media. So this really wasn't a thing I thought was important or something we should be pursuing. But, you know, it was our management that really pushed it. Uh, Bob Jacobs, BN Jacobs, at BN Jacobs on Twitter, you know, really told us, the public affairs officers, you got to start doing this. And he spoke with Lisa Malone over at Kenny Space Center, one of the shuttle launches. 
and said, hey, what did you think about doing a launch tweet up? And this is before headquarters ever did one before. And um, then, of course, I was in space op operations mission directorate and working with a team of a gentleman named Mike Curie and Catherine Trinidad. And we were kind of told, you guys, you know, you should start thinking about doing a tweet up down there. So the first thing I did was get on the phone with Veronica and she sent me everything she did, all her templates, all her ideas, everything. We had conversations about it and it seemed like a really great event going forward. But starting off a launch one seemed really, really intimidating. So we looked for the next event that's something we could do, something locally at headquarters. And that's why we did the SCS 125 tweet up uh, it, in Washington in 2009. And that's kind of where we cut our teeth and, and uh, kind of got us prepped for what we need to do, start thinking about some things that worked and didn't work. And then, uh, then we had to start thinking about the launch one. And that took funding. And we partnered with the Space Operations Mission Directorate, a woman named Beth Beck, who, um, who worked in outreach there. And really the funding when it comes to something like a tweet up at that point really was buses and uh, a tent. And uh, they had some money in their budget and they helped us put this together. So that's really how it started for us from a headquarters perspective. We just kind of just took the, the lead from Veronica McGregor and the Jet Propulsion Laboratory team, remolded it and asked headquarters first. I think we did two headquarters before we actually did one at a launch one at the Kennedy Space Center. And uh, you kind of know the rest. They've all seemed to be work out pretty well, but that was the formula we followed. And the, the support for management was there from the very beginning. It would have to be, I know. And it, it seems like to some extent with some recent changes, it may even have gotten more attention as far as one of the many outreach efforts that NASA has. Is that true? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And, you know, in fact, once you see an evolution, because we started doing this off with a uh, previous administration, you know, this administration came in, uh, you know, Charlie Bolden and and Laura Garver, they are just huge proponents of what we're doing. And so I think now there's all that there'll be sort of a NASA social around it. In fact, Jason and I kind of have to almost slow and put the brakes on sometimes because there's such a demand for these things these days. Uh, hi, guys. You know me from uh, way back. My first tweet up, STS-129. Um, and I've been hanging around supporting the community since I believe in it strongly. Well, one of the main questions I have is what tools and techniques is NASA using to track and gauge the effectiveness of its social media activities? And how has this changed with the addition of Facebook and Google Plus users to the NASA socials? So, I mean, as far as actual analytical tools, we actually use the native information that we get from each of the platforms. So rather it's you know, Facebook page insights, it is, you know, Twitter analytics, it is, you know, um, the Google Plus has ripples and you can track that information and things like that. You know, that that's really what we've been using to track how effective we've been with our online communications and everything. But beyond that, um, we have done some hashtag tracking um, around certain events and campaigns, particularly socials um, or other events like that. And, uh, you know, kind of gauged how effective we were at, you know, spreading the news around those particular items. But that's been done using a, a wide variety of tools that are out there. Um, most of them are free or extremely low cost um, since we're really working with a social media budget of zero. So, um, you know, it, it, it's been interesting testing out and seeing all the different uh, tools that are available, but we haven't settled on any particular one that anybody is using universally. There's no enterprise solution that we have. So it, it, it's interesting to see the data and to interpret it and find out what, you know, the data is telling us and stuff. So quite fascinating. 
you know, one thing I'll add is Shannon, you know, we I, in working in public affairs and with media, it's always hard to really gauge what your result is, right? Just because a newspaper picks up the news release you put out, you don't really know how many people you're reaching with that. It doesn't mean how many people actually get subscribed to that newspaper, read that newspaper, read that article that went out. So there's a lot of factors involved. And the fact that we have a community and people like you that have formed from that community, uh, that's uh, something that's really intangible and very difficult to measure. So that's one of our successes that we that we kind of are proud of, but it's hard to actually put in terms of numbers. Right, right. Um, the other question I had goes back to what you were saying earlier, that uh, early on you actually didn't see the value to the, the tweet-ups. And uh, I know you're a big space geek. I've always appreciated the way you kind of wax poetic talking about the shuttle program and all. So that kind of surprised me when you said that, that, that you didn't see the value. So what, when, when was the turning point? Was it the 129 tweet up or when was it earlier when you, when you saw people coming from all over the country or, or world? You know, for me personally, I can say that I was not an advocate for social media because like a lot of folks in public affairs, we were so used to doing things a certain way, you know, sending out news releases, coordinating with media. And so it didn't come naturally for me, and there was some resistance to change. But as soon as, you know, with the STS-125 shuttle mission to the Hubble Space Telescope, when during the spacewalk, I was actually seeing the conversation happening because the numbers, the followers were growing exponentially. I went on there and saw the engagement that was occurring and the question being asked, and there was instant gratification, which you never got from a public affairs before, seeing the public that was really engaged and asking questions and and. Uh, and, and just really, all of a sudden, the public was, there was an instant gratification. The public was interested in what we were doing. And that's where I fell in love with social media and became a huge advocate at that point. And actually, I remember that day, I no longer cared about all the other things I had to do. I was just addicted to Twitter and just wanted to keep talking to the community. <laughs> As for the tweet up itself, I think that that was something that was kind of overwhelming at first, what was asked from us from management. And until we actually did the first one, NASA headquarters with the STS-125 shuttle crew, uh, were the same thing where you saw the people asking wonderful questions and they were informed and they were sharing that with all their their friends and followers. Uh, and uh, that really was the big difference for, for me personally uh, to make it so uh, we really want to keep doing these. And it was no doubt that after STS-125 tweet up, we want to keep the momentum going. And I think we did one for STS-127 crew. We did one with a connection with the space station after that. We're questions live to the astronauts uh, on orbit. And then, uh, you know, of course, we did one. We started doing them for every shuttle launch at that point. I think we missed a couple, and that's it, between the, the first one and uh, shuttle retirement. John, this is Mark. With everything that you just rattled off, I've got to ask, do you ever get dizzy trying to keep track of where you've been and where you're going and what's next? <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, I know Jason feels the same way. It's happening really, really quick. It's one of those jobs that a lot of people – come in every day and they sit at their desk and they do the same thing they've done for 30 years. Things are changing so rapidly for us. It's actually, I think sometimes we just talk to each other and, and try to get our mind wrapped around it because now there's so many accounts. I mean, there's close to 500 social media accounts uh, at NASA as an agency right now. Uh, we have these of every week that someone wants, comes to us or several times a week, wanting to open new accounts and also wanting to do NASA socials. And so we've come a long way. And now it's like you don't have to sell this to anyone. Everyone gets it. Astronauts no longer. We had to beg, you know, the astronaut office to find an astronaut to tweet from space. Now it's like everyone's pretty much is joining in. And there's almost like a competition among the astronauts, uh, you know, to be involved on social media. So it's a big difference between where we came in a very short period of time in 09 to where we are now. 
you mentioned that you have people that come up to you and ask about, you know, like starting a Twitter account or NASA socials. How do you come up with the ideas for all these different NASA socials? Because there's been so many different ideas. And then how do you decide once you have the idea of the special events that you're going to have, such as tours and things like that? Yeah, I wish there was a formula for it. There isn't. You know, what happens is we talk we talk through the projects and programs who want to hold these things and try to prioritize what messages they want to get out. And that's kind of how you gauge the speakers. Of course, anytime you can get someone like Charlie Bolden or Lori Garver, the administrator and deputy administrator, you really want to try to get them engaged to tell those high level points from the agency perspective. But really, it's up to the individual event. Every event is so different. You know, there's no, you know, a shuttle launch tweet up is so much different than, you know, something like an astronaut coming to NASA headquarters uh, that's made a two hour event as opposed to a multi day event. So there really isn't an exact formula. We have a, Jason and I have a checklist we go through to make sure we don't forget to ask certain questions and to think through certain things. But aside from that, it's really the, the event is catered to, you know, the mission, the project, the program that's trying to tell a certain story. Well, one of the more unique events you had was at SpaceX. And one topic that we've been discussing here on the show revolves around when NASA social participants were given the same access as press at the SpaceX CRS-1 launch. And this brought up a discussion about traditional media like TV, newspaper, and even our show versus social media. So as social media guys, how do you see social media compared to traditional media? Like I said, you know, I was I've been a public affairs officer and I really think this is more important in some ways than the restore the, the work and the energy and resources we put into public affairs at NASA to cater to traditional media. Of course, media has one purpose for an organization, right, to tell your story out to the public. Social media allows us to reach the public directly. And so we have limited resources and agency, so we can't have big NASA socials for every single thing we do. And it only made sense. And this really didn't start with SpaceX. It really, if you think about it, started with the budget briefing in 2012 when Stephanie Sheerholtz and Bob Jacobs decided to invite social media people like a, a, a quickly. There wasn't a lot of time for a turnaround. They invited a mini tweet up at NASA headquarters where all of a sudden social media people were in the briefing asking questions along with reporters on a budget telecon, not the kind of thing you'd think, or budget briefing, not the kind of thing you normally would engage social media on. And it was a pretty, pretty good success. It was a good like dipping our toes in the water to see how these two worlds could work together. And from our perspective, it, it worked pretty well. Uh, there's still some people that are resistant to this. I know there's some people in the news media don't quite get the outsider of the social media people in there. But I personally feel like they didn't like it when bloggers got involved either. I'm sure the people in radio didn't like it when television people started, you know, cutting into their business. And I feel like this is the next evolution anyways. And I'm really proud that NASA was one of the first organizations to be out there in front of it and really trying to merge those two worlds together. I think what we learned, and Jason can attest to this, is perhaps we didn't provide an engaging enough experience for news media, and hence it didn't translate well to social media. Yeah, I mean, that that really was one of the big takeaways. Um, I mean, we've been programming full-on NASA socials uh, with a special event and, you know, a special tour and special, you know, panel of speakers and things like that for quite a while. And as a result of, you know, actually integrating everybody directly into the media operations that we usually also have that run in parallel and making them one and the same, we had some interesting takeaways that were reflections on not just, you know, social media, but on our media operations as well. 
Um, one of the big takeaways that we had that, that was really kind of eye-opening for us is it really validated some of the things that we were doing on social media. Um, you know, giving a, a tour to folks so that they could see the actual facilities where work was happening and experience, you know, going out, you know, to the pad and things like that for, you know, pre-launch and so on. Those were, those are elements where people can not only document the news that's happening, but also, you know, they get, a, they, they feel a little bit more coming out of that whole experience where they can really, you know, when they write about it, they can write, you know, knowing what they experienced and everything as good background material. And so in some ways there were some things that were, were needing improvement. And then other ways there were things that, you know, uh, a, a trip out to the pad and so on, you know, whether it was for news media or for the social media or things like that, it really validated that that is, you know, those sorts of experiences really make for better generation of content out there. You know, it's more informed and it, it really is uh, smarter content because people have gotten a chance to experience that and can share that experience with everybody. Um, as far as other other takeaways from the experiment that we, we ran with it, um, Social media has different requirements, just like, you know, a print journalist is going to need a couple of good sound bites, um, going to need lots of good background information to go write a newspaper article. You know, a, a TV reporter is going to need, you know, an actual talking face, you know, to put on camera and record an interview with. So that way they can, you know, put together a, a video package. Well, social media also has its own unique requirements, um, you know. Social media by its very nature is very social. And so one of the things that we really learned, you know, um, some ways sequestering a group of social media people together to allow for networking and, you know, really the interactions and the socializing aspect of social media is crucial. And so, you know, um, throwing folks, you know, out into a series of desks that, you know, they may or may not all be social media people. There were definitely some awkward moments in that where, you know, um, either traditional media wasn't sold on the social media being there or the social media folks didn't quite know, you know, the traditional decorum that may or may not be the right decorum for, you know, uh, the media site. And so there were some of those moments where it was interesting to take away, um, some of the, you know, experiences of why, you know, putting all the social media people together really generates uh, a better networking opportunity and a better opportunity to socialize and and share information you've learned, um, interesting facts, figures, and and basically make noise. You know, talk. You know, actually be vocal and and things like that, and not you know interrupt somebody who's trying to write an article that needs a clear you know head, good train of thought to go on. So it's a little less like that that we've learned from that experience. Um, we're definitely going to do it again, um, you know, and we're, we're planning on ways to improve the experience so that it's better for not only social media, but it's also, you know, a better experience for the traditional media as well. So the two dovetail very nicely into one another. Yeah, I remember Jason saying to me afterward, you know, because he was there and I wasn't. He said, listen, you know, traditional media has assignment editors to tell them cover this, go take pictures of that. Where social media in the past for NASA socials, we were that assignment editor, right? We said, here, we're going to take you out the vehicle assembly building. This is cool. Here's a launch pad. This is cool. But with this, when we just treat the, the social media people the same as news media, I think some of them didn't know exactly what to cover or what to write about or what to report. So that was something we need to improve in the future, kind of laying out the, the hot topics and stuff that we think they should be covering. 
Yeah, that's interesting how you say that, because that was one of the concerns that I had when I heard about this, was the idea of the clashing heads between the traditional guys who, you know, have the social media people who don't know exactly what they're doing. But in the same respect, in the future, do you see possibly traditional media and social media becoming one or working hand in hand possibly now? I mean, I don't know what the future is going to be exactly, but, you know, we're already seeing that merge, right? It's funny when you when you watch the Olympics or the presidential election and you see these major networks going over to social media and following the conversation, there's already a merging of these worlds where the interesting, they're kind of playing off on what the, the conversation is happening on social media. Uh, I think those worlds are already merging. I think we were some of the first people to really see that and kind of trying to put them together. And I, I know there was a good example was there was one photographer who said something to Jason, I believe, and I don't, I don't want to, Jason could probably say it better than I, but they were kind of upset because this, the guy can take a photo, photograph, a social media person, and they can put it out there. They're going to put it out there for free for everyone to use where this other person makes his livelihood on that photograph and that moment and that, that, that access that he had. Now they're giving access to everybody. I think that in some ways, uh, the worlds are going to have to combine, right? They're no longer going to have to rely on these. They're not going to have exclusivity over these photos. Uh, the public is going to have access to these photos, and they're going to be public domain, which helps tell our story, right? Because our goal isn't necessarily to make media happy. Our goal is to tell a really good, compelling story for NASA that reaches the public. Continuing on, thinking about the CRS-1 SpaceX launch and the uh, the NASA social there, I was privileged with some help from Shannon to talk to half a dozen or better people that we produced as a a special kind of a focus on interviews and what what people thought that were there that were participants and I got the general impression that some of the uh, people there and this may be typical for a NASA social but some focused very intently, both during the event and afterwards, on on the topic of space and what we do at the socials. But some, I think, had a short attention span, and as soon as the event was over, they switched back to whatever else was going on in life. Is is that a description that Jason and John that that and Shannon that y'all agree with? I mean, you see a lot more of what happens online than I do. Yes, but does the reporter do the same thing? I mean, they get their story, they put out their little soundbite in the evening news, and they move on to the next story. So I don't think that's ne- – you might not get Shannon Moores at every single event that become lifelong advocates and are super space enthusiasts. But those people that come in there, enjoy the experiment, experience, and share with their friends and followers, I think that's okay. You're going to get a, a gamut of people, and sometimes there are people short extension spans, and that's okay too, I think. You know, I, I think the thing that has made the NASA social program um, – as good as it has been thus far is that it really is is taking people from all walks of life and giving them the same experience so that they can then take it back to the communities that they're in and um you know share that experience and so you know if they have that short attention span and have moved on to other things there are going to be times later in you know it may not be right away but later where they recant stories you know re- they tell those stories of what they experienced or what they saw and things like that to groups that, you know, NASA may not necessarily be reaching on our own. So it's really nice to see that we have the ability to reach out to people who then are influencers back in their communities um, and in their circle of friends uh, where they are and really, you know, basically 
it's that exponential amplification effect that social media is and that, you know, we provide the source material, then they provide the telling of the stories. And so it becomes this virtual word of mouth. And so, you know, it, it's a good way for us to reach audiences that we may not necessarily be reaching on our own. So, you know, it's a really it's been a really good experience for the agency overall. Talking about it being a good experience, isn't NASA pretty much the top dog, the top government agency in the U.S. with what they're doing with social media? Absolutely. And, you know, in fact, I feel like we get calls. Jason can attest to this daily from other federal agencies sometimes asking, you know, what did you guys do? How do you guys do what you do uh, so well? Uh, Not only are they asking questions about things like tweet up socials, but just our strategy in general. So uh, I think we, we paved the way. I mean, I'll go back to Veronica McGregor and on Twitter and Mars, Mars Phoenix and Mars Curiosity. You know, it wasn't by fluke. It was having the vision to see that this was an important way to connect with people. And now a lot of places, a lot of agencies are catching up at this point. I'll, I'll definitely uh, second that. Um, you know, being in, being in Washington, D.C., working at NASA headquarters, um, you know, interacting with the uh, social media managers at all the other government agencies that are there and um, that work, we all get together once a quarter and basically, you know, talk about case studies from social media, best practices that we're all learning, um, you know, and things like that. And there's been times where, you know, people really sit down and pick, you know, my brain or John's brain or, you know, want to do follow-ups with NASA because we've been doing something that they find to be um, really, really uh, attractive as far as the level of engagement we get, the level of interaction, collaboration. Um, you know, it really has been a, a good thing for NASA to be that leader because we're able to, to help other agencies along with that um, and really share our experience and our knowledge and, and allow everybody as a whole to kind of, you know, elevate, you know, what they're doing as well. So... But, you know, I also want to say on this call, it's really important to know it's not the brilliance of, you know, the people who have led social media or do social media NASA. It's this amazing product we have, right? We have this amazing video we put out every day and this, these really capturing um, images that really, and the, the topic itself that really captures the imagination of folks that, that purely, I mean, we're talking about sometimes, you know, our, our, how many, what kind of life, if there's life in the rest of the universe, you know, we're talking about fundamental questions that, that that pretty much all humans are interested in. So it's our compelling content, not necessarily the brilliance of social media effort, but the brilliance of NASA as a whole. And it really makes our job a lot easier than it does for a lot of other federal agencies. I don't think they'll ever be able to get the kind of engagement we do just because we're such a visual, a visual organization with a compelling story that really, really relates to everybody. I, I think the thing that's really interesting about that compelling content is that it gives us kind of a nice license to go and try new things and do things um, that can be perceived as either cutting edge or at least, you know, becoming the standard bearer within the industry. And so it really gives us that license and that long leash to go and and try and experiment and see what works and see what doesn't work and develop best practices around all of that. And so by being able to be out in front and know that we have compelling content, you know, if we repackage it in a certain way or we, you know, put it up on a new tool or we get out there in front of it with all the content, you know, it's really a chance for, for us to kind of break that ground and, you know, really pave that path for everybody else moving forward. So figure out what works and what doesn't. Right. And, you know, it's interesting you say it because if you think about it, traditional media, it doesn't usually tell those little smaller stories, those little behind the scenes, how one little thing worked that could be compelling to someone, right? You know, the research we're doing 
in, you know, bone mitigation on space station could really be compelling to to some of the senior folks in this country. Uh, and that story is not often told. It's not going to make front page news and newspaper or the day to day research we're doing. That's why we have almost 500 Twitter accounts, for example, or social media accounts, I should say, because we can all of a sudden we have a, a, an avenue to tell those little stories that we never really had before. Those little things, those little technologies all of a sudden have a voice. Of course, when you talk about the number of uh, Twitter accounts and the 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 wide variety of, of where NASA reaches, if I could just keep track of it all. <laughs> I need a bigger computer for a brain. Yeah, you know, we're trying to keep track of it all. Too. <laughs> it's a challenge for us internally as well. And, and the thing that, that I find fascinating is that everybody wants a new account as well. So, you know, it, it's really interesting how they see other programs have adopted it and seen the successes that they've had. And so internally now all of a sudden they want it too. And so at some point, you know, we, we've had to step in and, and, and say, Hey, let's think about this strategically. You know, since you are three programs that are all focusing on the same topic or the same program or the same, you know, mission, why don't we combine all of your stuff? So rather than have three accounts of 300 followers, let's have one account of a thousand followers. So that way you have bigger reach and everybody benefits from that. And so it's been really kind of interesting to see as we've matured as a social media organization, you know, it's not just we need to be on Twitter because we need to be on Twitter. It's we need to be on Twitter because we have a compelling story to tell there and we need to have a strategy behind how we tell it. So that way it has the most effective ability to to reach out and be shared with as many people as possible. In regards to what you were saying before about with all the different Twitter accounts, how you get, you know, elderly patients who may be interested in bone loss. It seems like NASA's main publicity item was things like the space shuttle. And with the shuttle retired, do you believe that events like NASA socials and having all of those different Twitter accounts will maybe spark some interest and raise awareness of NASA's mission? It does. And, you know, when we talk about these NASA socials and these agendas, we often think about, OK, what story isn't typically told this little nuance of this mission? You know, it's this payload, for example, when we did shuttle ones. What's a cool payload, science payload that would never get reported otherwise that we want to share with these social media followers and see what they do with it? We don't always know what's going to hook. Right. But sometimes these little things get a lot of retweets, get a lot of postings, get a lot of great imagery, uh, images taken that we didn't necessarily expect. So uh, that's what NASA socials, that's what tweet-ups have done for us. We're able to tell that side of the story, and it used to be in terms of the shuttle program, that weren't being told generally, unless you, you know, let's, let's be honest, NASA has been criticized my whole life on not doing a very good job of telling its story. They, they were criticized when we didn't, we had NASA television, we had a website, we had podcasts, we have RSS feeds. We had all these tools out there, but they were kind of living in a vacuum. And all of a sudden, social media came along, and we have a channel to take out to, to to direct people to all these great things out there that we never had before. That's why I mean, I think Jason and I both feel like this is one of the most important things we're doing because all of these avenues, all of these things, now have a voice, and not everyone's listening to all these voices. But you know, some people are, and it's connecting with people, and you just never know what story is going to hit. And all of these things now are in the conscious of, you know, it's not just the shuttle launching or what are we going back to the moon or not going back to the moon. It's finding out how we're doing these things that's starting to connect with people. And this is Jason here. Um, one of the stories that I 
at this point internally love to tell because it really shows the power of what NASA socials was all about. Um, back in August, we had a, a mission called the Radiation Belt Storm Probes, which has since been renamed the Van Ellen Storm Probes. Um, those probes were launching out of Kennedy Space Center, and they are going to go study the Van Allen radiation belts around the Earth. And this is really important data that we need to get. This is one of the very first discoveries that, you know, NASA made using the Explorer 1 um, satellite. And it was one of the things that we really haven't gone back and discovered since we just or done any real research on since we discovered it. So this is a mission that's going to go and take a look at those and really put a lot of data behind what's happening in the Van Allen belts. And this is important because if we're going to spend or send astronauts, you know, beyond the protection of the, you know, Earth um, atmosphere and everything, they're going to have to fly through these radiation belts. And so how do we how do we protect them when we don't know what's out there? So this mission is going to go study that. Well, it's a very esoteric mission, and, and selling it to the traditional media to talk about it, there was the core group of space reporters and things that are going to come and cover everything that NASA does, because that's their beat. But, you know, we're not getting a lot beyond that, in that we're not getting, you know, um, assignment editors sending us, you know, coverage for a variety of outlets and so on. So it's a very small group covering that launch. Well, we brought in 50 people for that particular event. Um, for a NASA social. And we were able to put together um, some great uh, presenters from the science team, uh, um, a couple of the folks from the launch services program, from the engineering you know, areas that really engineered the probes that are going to go out there and do all the studies and so on. And at the end of it all, it was really interesting seeing how the for RBSP, the NASA social generated this online buzz about this mission the day before it was going to launch that then all of a sudden sparked local media outlets to all of a sudden call down to Kennedy and say, hey, we see this thing that everybody's talking about online. What is it? What's it going to do? You know, these sorts of things. And so that generated almost a second wave of news media that, you know, we were of traditional media that we were getting out of that event because of the NASA social. And if it hadn't been for the fact that we had that NASA social there, this would have merely been just a little blip on the radar. But because we had the NASA social there, they were able to tell our story and, you know, they were able to send out over 1,500 tweets that talked about, you know, RBSP, and they were able to send out, you know, um, those tweets that went and reached, you know, almost 25 million people uh, for potential impressions on that. And so that was incredible. But then the fact that it, you know, was reinforcing what traditional media, you know, in that it was bringing them back in to ask questions, to learn more about the mission and to report on it, that was kind of an unintended, you know, consequence that was a good thing. And so... You know, it really showed the power of what doing a NASA social and what our social media platforms really can can do for, you know, missions that may not necessarily get their full due in the limelight. Yeah, Jason's talking about uh, the Radiation Belt Storm Probe mission reminds me, uh, when I'm working on the wiki, it's always great to see people that um, that are attending a tweet up and they, they issue a press release uh, and, and to their local media saying, hey, I'm attending this tweet up. And here's my information. I went to this school or I work here at this university or whatever. And uh, it, it generates media interest um, in in uh, their local community. And then stories come out of that. And then I end up putting that in the wiki. And it's wonderful to see that interest. Uh, they, they get that uh, story in there. And it's it's awesome to see that. And the people are excited because they can send that that article out to their friends and family and say, hey, you know, this is 
that's me. <laughs> so it's it's awesome to see that kind of excitement generated. Uh, and then one of the questions I had kind of is, um, it's kind of frustrating to me personally. I, I do all these tweets and stuff, sharing information, but they're kind of ephemeral things. And I have a hard time turning them into blog posts. And I'm wondering if you guys sort of have the same frustration on your end that you wish there was kind of more permanence to some of the stuff that we do or if it really doesn't matter it's it's nice to have kind of the diversity that there's people tweeting there's people doing pictures videos uh live streams that that it's kind of it you've got enough people doing a broad diversity of things it doesn't really matter that people aren't all doing blog posts or more permanent type of things you know i don't know if you quite get my 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 meaning there but 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 tweets are kind of things that just kind of go out in the ether and then it's kind of harder to get to them. Yeah, I think it's changing, Shannon. I think that you're right. With Twitter, that's true. But now you have Google Plus where you have a little bit longer posts people doing. A lot of people that are go to our NASA socials, for example, do post blogs. Of course, we have you know a plethora of content out there that we have. It's just a matter of making it relevant in the moment and getting people, encouraging people. You know, that's one of the things we do with the SpaceX thing. We are not just looking for random social media users. We're looking at people that are super engaged. And we actually didn't just randomly select them. We looked at people that had, you know, did set up blogs. And we looked at people who did, you know, post things to YouTube. And if that's the audience we're, we're targeting and it's becoming more broad uh, at every day, I feel like in the future we're going to be getting more compelling long-term content than just tweets. I'm going to give you guys a data point because uh, you folks were, were alluding to a, a question that was asked earlier about measurement and how do you go ahead and, and measure the success of something and so on and so forth and, and trying to figure out what's going on in the space community as a result of what you're doing. Uh, to give you a little bit of a data point, this organization that you're, that you're you know, kind of hanging around with here was born out of the STS-125 tweet-up. Um, we, it was, it was more of a, uh, we were, we were sitting there uh, just saying, okay, what the heck do we do? Because we were trying to figure out what does NASA do with this army that they've got? And everybody was saying, well, you know, we're waiting for marching orders and all that. Well, we didn't wait for marching orders. Uh, we just decided that we were going to go ahead and, and, and try to, to go ahead and develop this and get, try to get the message out a little bit better because we, we had some objections to what was going on in, in a lot of traditional media areas. And when you talk about uh, traditional media and so on, we had to go through a lot of growing pains and figuring out you know, what was going on and so on. I mean, when we cover, we, we've covered uh, uh, the STS-134 and 135 launches at the at the press site and we had to we had to jump through a lot of hurdles but uh uh we 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 figured things out and we we moved forward um so a, a lot of what you're you're kind of alluding to th this program here has become sort of a hybrid if you will between the the you know the traditional you know media like you know space.com and all those guys and um and the bloggers so i, I kind of think we're we're sort of somewhere somewhere in between so I'll, I'll just give you that little data point here. Um, the question I had for you was, I mean, social media, you guys seem to have it down pat. Every time I, I look at uh, you know, any uh, uh, things, you know, having to deal with social media and highlighting, NASA is always right there at the forefront. Have you guys been approached by anybody in you know, the private sector to say, hey, uh, we, we don't know social media, Did, you know, uh, can you guys teach us as, as far as what, what's going on? Or has anybody really, really written to you guys and said, hey, or 
we'd like to use your your template as far as that's concerned because you know you guys NASA is an incub- business incubator too. You guys go ahead, develop new technologies, and and give it over to uh, to business to uh, to develop even further. I was wondering if anybody approached you guys in the private sector, say, "Hey, teach us what 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 are we doing wrong here?" You know, I'll I'll just answer that first. I don't know the answer for Jason, but you know, Gene, I've worked at your data point. I remember vividly after the SCS one twenty five tweet up in NASA headquarters. Uh, you and another gentleman coming up to me, and we spoke for like twenty minutes afterward right. about this topic. Uh, it was. It was we were all kind of uh, broaching new territory. I felt like explorers at the time, and where we were going to go for there from there was unknown. And uh, I remember the conversation. Um, you know, I think that there's a different attitude uh, from private organizations. If you're, I think the way we do things doesn't translate directly. When I go to conferences sometimes where they mix us win with some of the private organizations, they're really interested in things like buying ads and the way to make, you know, highlight their tweets or their posts, that sort of thing. Uh, It's quite different than what we have done traditionally in some ways. Do I think they could learn from us? Yes. Do I think that they're going to listen to us? No, not necessarily. And only because our audience to them would be different and our product is different, right? We have we're trying to reach people because we're trying to communicate something. It's part of the Space Act, right? We're supposed to meet, uh, reach as many people as possible and, and inspire kids to want to study math, science, engineering, technology, et cetera. And they want to, their, their goal is to sell a product usually. Right. So um, I, I don't, Jason, do you have a different perspective? Well, no, but um, I was recently speaking with a, a bunch of private sector social media specialists who basically do social media as their full-time jobs. And at the end of talking with them, an hour kind of roundtable discussion, one of the pr- people literally said, I really want to sum up what NASA just told us here in three bullet points. And those bullet points were, we do social media on a $0 budget. We do social media uh, where we cannot buy advertising and we're not spending money to go out and pay for Placement. And we do social media um, where we are really uh, concerned about generating good content and putting it out there so that it grows the longest legs and walks everywhere that it possibly can go. And that that is so 180 from just about every other social media strategy that everybody in that room had and that we had had such great success with it. And and it was one of those moments where around the room, a lot of people had to pick their jaw up off the floor when it was said in that regard. And so, you know, it, it's really fascinating to see how we're able to do it. As John said, we've been absolutely blessed with amazing content and that really having those amazing raw inputs really allows us to produce a really great product. But, you know, we're doing things that the, the private sector is not has not been traditionally focused on. And so, you know, I think that there's things they can learn from us and there's definitely things that we can learn from them. So it's it's a it's a back and a forth for sure. Yeah, that's what I, I kind of thought. Because again, and I can just really, really see this, see somebody in the private sector trying to pick up some parts of this template and trying to to leverage it here. Um, what have you guys really learned about your about you know yourselves and the way you guys do business over at NASA as a result of all this, and and ultimately really what have, what have you learned about about the space community the the folks that are back over here writing their congressmen or or, or really really trying to get uh, you know uh, get their their niece or nephew or their 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 kids involved in in a in a STEM type type thing what have you learned about all all of this? You know I learned that you, your first question is personally, and I learned that, you know, this isn't just a job anymore. This is a passion. And when you're 
when you're doing public affairs, public relations, uh, you're so you're almost there's a wall between you and the public, uh, typically. And this all of a sudden breaks down that wall, and I'm able to talk and meet with people like Shannon and Gene and all you know the folks on this call uh, that have engaged with NASA directly. And it's a wonderful, um, almost uh, eye-opening experience in communications. Um, what was the second part of your question? Uh, basically, what is yeah? Um, what have, what have you guys learned about yourselves, and and what have you basically learned about us? Oh, yeah, you know, I didn't know existed. To be honest, <laughs> I, mean, I, I really didn't. I, I you know, there, I, I didn't know Shannon Moore's, who were so dedicated and enthused about content, uh, existed that same way. You just didn't see them. You know, you hear about them; they're out there. If you're part of some sort of industry organization where uh, the, sp the space community comes together. That you know, you see that sort of thing at those events, but you didn't see it every day right on your computer screen the same way. It just uh, opened my eyes uh, to the love that people have for this this uh, this government organization. And frankly, the more people learn about it, the more that love you know is spread. I don't think most people get what NASA does and how it connects to their lives. And if you can relay that to a few people, especially younger folks, I think you can really make a connection that was really impossible before. Yeah, just to really interject something about there, uh, John, you and I had a had a discussion about uh, during one of the uh, the I think it was the first Johnson Space Center uh, tweet up, and I walked into the old Moker, the the uh, the mission control room where where the Apollo and and Gemini flights were controlled out of, and that was such an emotional moment for me. I brought that home and told everybody, and uh, you know. That's that's basically the the message we're trying to get out to how this really really affects people walking into that room and and just being a part of that that historic place. So again, you know, thanks. You know, Gene, uh, I had I had been to the VAB a bunch of times prior to NASA socials, NASA tweet ups, and I kind of took it for granted. All of a sudden, I would read tweets and photos posted, people crying and really amazed at these you know these historic space buildings. Uh, that have you know that have such an important part in our in our our role in the Apollo program and and, and the shuttle program. Uh, it really opened up my mind, opened up my eyes to how powerful NASA is and what it means to people. I just want to add one other thing because it's not just the how it changed us personally, but social media has actually impacted NASA as a whole as an organization um, in ways that we didn't anticipate either. Um, you know, when we see how people are repurposing our content that we're putting out there, they're, you know, modifying the tweets, they're putting things up um, and, and adding that in, you know, we're learning how the public perceives what NASA does and, and so on, and then reintegrating that back into how we do things. So, you know, it, it's always been called internally an extravehicular activity, an EVA. But the public's always going to see it as a spacewalk. And so learning the right language to talk so that our content resonates the best possible way and is the most efficiently you know, shared out there is, is a, a, a bonus for NASA as well. And so we've had so many little lessons learned out of social media that have really been institutionalized that we can use to improve our product and to improve um, how we communicate uh, more effectively and efficiently with the public. This is sort of a technical question, so it, it may have uh, not quite as great an interest as a lot of what we've been talking about. But I know that people that are overseas that are outside the U.S., non-U.S. citizens, they look forward to these events as much as anyone else does. Um, but they're not always open for overseas attendees. How does that work? 
Yeah, you know, we, you know, I, I, that's one question to ask a lot and why the numbers? Like sometimes we invite 20 people, sometimes we invite 150. It really has to do with the event and what the logistics are of the event. We go in hoping to get foreign nationals at every single NASA social we do, and we try to get the maximum amount of people in the room as possible. We could have a thousand people at every event. We'd, we'd welcome that. If we could have 10,000, even better. But we really have to, to talk about the logistics. And often for foreign nationals, it has to do with timeline. If people told us they were going to do these events a year in advance, uh, we'd be able to do them. But sometimes they tell us three weeks in advance, and it's just not enough time to clear foreign nationals through that center security system. And that's really that's really that simple. The, the other thing that we also sometimes deal with is certain facilities have certain restrictions, mainly due to um, ITAR, which are um, basically restrictions on sharing technologies with uh, you know, foreign citizens and things like that. So if we're going to take NASA social participants to see one of these facilities, you know, not only are we not able to take foreign nationals in there, but sometimes, you know, we've had to, you know, ask people not to take photos of it or, you know, things like that. You know, it's a chance to experience what it's like in this facility and relate that, you know, later. And so we've seen some amazing blog posts come out of that and so on. And so we think that's a really valuable part that people get to experience the end to end everything that is related to uh, the particular event. Um, and so we we unfortunately have had to also, because of those uh, restrictions, um, exclude some of our foreign national guests. And, and it really, it, it hurts. I mean, we would love to include them if possible. Um, we'd love to have everybody take photographs of everything if possible. And so, but there's just some rules that we have to follow. So one real fast question, you guys have taken us everywhere. We've, we've seen shuttle launches. We've been into historic rooms. Like, like I mentioned, the, uh, the, the old mission control center. We've we've seen the shuttle launch control. You know, we've seen the the launch control rooms over at the VA. You know, over at uh, KSC. We've seen the shuttle uh, mission control rooms. We've seen the ISS mission control rooms. You know, we've we've been to JPL and all that. Where where in the future is NASA NASA Social going to be taking us? There's a there's an event coming up, I believe, uh, just next month. Um, over at the Moscone Center in San Francisco, there was an event here in New York, which I attended not not too long ago and uh, a couple of years back. Um, are you guys going to be doing any more of the, you know, any more of these science-related events where you would go to a like, you know, an event say in in, in Philadelphia or something like that, or or coming back over here to the World Science Festival again in uh, in New York in the not too distant future? Yeah, yes is the answer to the question. You know, yes, yes, yes. You know, we. The AGU, this is an experiment for them. You know, the organization that manages the, the AGU that you're talking about in San Francisco on December 4th, they've never done invited. You've never had NASA social, social media presence there before. Uh, so uh, this is the kind of thing that, you know, we didn't have to hard sell them, to be honest. Uh, this is thing that's starting, you've seen the world changing in a very quick period of time. So every time there's an event in a different venue, we want to try to engage. You know, San Francisco's one, you know, like I said, if it's Philadelphia, if it's Alaska, if we can get people and reach new audiences, the venue matters. I mean, people will travel to come out to Florida, but not everyone's going to travel out for a meeting um, out in Colorado. Uh, sometimes they will, but you can get a lot of locals also all of a sudden interested that didn't even know these events happen sometimes. So yes, and also, regarding all these cool things, buildings and things we've shown people, you know, every time we do an event, we brainstorm what can we do that we haven't done before? What can we show people that no one's seen before? That always is our thinking. We want to make the experience rich, but we also want to make it new and exciting. Yeah, and, and again, getting out to areas that may not 
get a lot of exposure to to you guys too, like you know, you know, the Midwest, Iowa, Nebraska, the, those areas too. It's just see if there's any type of space centric stuff going on over there that you can tie into. So that's yeah, I mean that that rocks, and I hope that that does happen. I won't give away anything, but I'll tell you, we're going to be reaching places in the country that we've never reached before with social media events in 2013. Oh, I'm grinning from ear to ear. <laughs> Stay tuned. We have come to that point. We have reached the final question. And this is a question that we ask all of our guests, and it is by far the most difficult question to ask. People obviously know about NASA's Facebook page and their Twitter account, but if people want to find out more about you, Jason and John, where can they go? <laughs> Jason? Oh, boy, putting us on the spot here. <laughs> You know, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you that I never, I really never want to make this, uh, you, you probably all, everyone on this call follows me. I think Jason and I try not, try not to make this about us personally. You know, this is NASA and, you know, we, we, we work really hard. This is our jobs. You know, this is something that we do and we get paid for. And uh, it's really about the agency and that meat mall that we really try to promote as much as possible. I mean, you can follow us, uh, you know, I'm at Yenberg. Jason is at Jay Towns on Twitter, but you're not going to get a whole lot of space content. You might get some other things out there because we're really focused on putting the space content on the widest, you know, uh, platforms possible, you know, the official NASA accounts. And that's what's important to us. Uh, I, I don't mean to speak for you, Jason, but I know he and I have had this conversation before, and I know we really want to make it about the agency and not about what we're doing as individuals. I so agree 100%. I mean, you're, you're welcome to follow along. I tweet pictures of what I'm eating. Um, you know, I tweet pictures of, you know, places I'm visiting, uh, th as I wander throughout my life, but it's not really, um, it, 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 it's a counterpoint to everything I do at work. That's really what it is. It's my release valve for, you know, after hours for, you know, what I, what I have going on. So as far as staying tuned with what NASA has going on and all the cool space goodies that are out there and everything, the, the NASA accounts are where it's at. And, and that really what we firmly believe this is not about us this is about you know really sharing as much as we can about the agency um and shining that light into those dark corners that don't get a lot of exposure and coverage and really you know bringing everybody along for the ride as we pull the curtain back and really show what goes on behind the scenes so then if people want to find out when the next nasa social is or participate in that or find out information about participating where can they go for that then nasa.gov slash social I mean, that's where we put everything up. You may miss that. Like you said, yeah, Twitter is sometimes you put a tweet out there and it, it disappears. And we know we met people we hear. I mean, I just was reading when we announced today, you know, the AGU social registration, you know, emails went out. Someone says, oh, my God, I know about that. I would love to register for it. So people miss these things. Uh, we want to also we're looking at doing um, an RSS uh, to try to feed more information out to folks on these events. But uh, NASA.gov slash social uh, follow, you know, go there and you'll get all the recent information on what we're doing for these events. And, and because of that whole people might possibly be missing this or that and so on, we really do try during the periods leading up to registration and having a lead time there so that we can promote it uh, different times of the day, um, promote it on all the different platforms and really get it out there so that hopefully as many people as possible can possibly see it and learn about the fact that they can come and visit us and really see what's going on. And you know, um, we've seen tremendous growth in new faces and new people coming in. And that's what it's all about, the new faces. Yep. Exactly. John Yembrick and Jason Townsend, thank you so much for joining us here in Talking Space. And please note that the door is always open for you guys to come on back. Our pleasure. Thanks for having us. Thank you very much. Have a good one.
Once again, Jason and John, thank you so much for joining us here. And of course, also thank you for joining us, Gene McCulka. I had a blast tonight, Sawyer. And uh, Shannon, again, thanks so much for taking the time out from your, your Thanksgiving preparations and all that to, to help us out tonight. It was an honor to have you here. As, and it was also an honor to have uh, both uh, our guests on tonight. Again, I, I give, it was just an awesome evening. I learned so much. I was thrilled to be here. And thanks, John and uh, Jason as well. Yes, indeed. Thank you for joining us, Shannon Moore. Thank if, you much. And if people want to find out about you personally, where can they go? They can find me on Twitter at AGeekMom, and they can find me on the web at AGeekMom.com. For more information on NASA tweetups, you can get information on the web at NASAtweet.com, and on Twitter, you can follow at TweetUpSpace. Great, and thank you as well for joining us and bringing along your posse of awesome people, Mark Ratterman. Oh, you're quite welcome, and uh, you know any thanks that, that comes my way, I got to turn back back to NASA because it was that CRS one NASA social where the participants were aligned with traditional media that that just lit my imagination as to hey we really need to to talk to the NASA social folks and find out more about it and uh, wow I'm so thankful that we got this together and that they joined us and spent the time with us. Agreed. This definitely changed my position a little bit on my soapbox argument regarding traditional and social media from a couple episodes back. And of course, about this whole discussion of social media, you know you can always get in contact with us by social media. We are on Twitter as at Talking Space. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Talking Space. Or if you want something a little longer than 140 characters, you can send a text file or an MP3 to our email address, which is mailbag at talkingspaceonline.com. We would love to hear your feedback on this episode, as always. And once again, as always, we have to thank you for listening to this episode, and we hope you will continue to listen in the future. But until then, as always, have a great day, night, evening, or whatever it may be, where you are. (laughs) 